0: Oh, Joe. Yeah. Have a question for you today, and my question okay. is, is: I'm always <laughs> nervous. <laughs> Go ahead. Is you you like to cook? Right, it's not something yeah. you do all the time. Right, you don't. It's harder to cook when you live alone, um, but. It's something you and I have shared many stories about. We've we've gone down many rabbit holes. We've talked about different things. You bake bread. You you have different ideas that come up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is there something that you love so much that you decided, you know what? I'm going to try and make it at home? Like a, like a, like a fast food item or something that you were like, you know what, I'm going to try to make like a homemade version of something that I could go spend 12, 20, 30 bucks on, whatever it is. Have you ever had one of those obsessions to where you try to mimic it at home and how did, how did it work out?
1: Well, um, my last, my last thing that I did is for my Sunday school class uh, they it was my turn to do snacks, so I like the Starbucks uh egg bites.
0: Oh, that's a good one, that's a good one, yeah,
1: yeah. So I don't know if I mimicked it exactly, but they, it was they a hit.
0: them, don't they?
1: Yeah, they do when did you, with did the you water, yeah, yeah.
0: Did you really? I put the water in there, yeah. How'd you, how'd you do it? Walk me through the process because I love oh those things. Oh my gosh, it's not that big a deal. Uh,
1: it well, it's really <laughs> e- well. I didn't do theirs. I didn't do theirs. but that Because theirs had cream, and I didn't have heavy cream and all that stuff. So I did everything without the cream. All you do is you just need to have. Oh, hang on, pause. I mean, did if, you
0: look up how to, like, Starbucks? Oh, yeah. Like, I, looked, how to I, do look,
1: it? I look it all up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I looked it up. So they have, you know, they add cream and all this other stuff to it. So it's more like a souffle. But I just found another recipe where all they did is fill the little the little uh, cups with, uh, you know whatever you want in it. Like you could do sausage. It seems like my sausage ones are a hit. So mainly did the sausage, and then I just poured my egg mixture, which is not much. Just just mix the egg mixture. Make sure you put your spices or whatever you want in it. Salt and did pepper. You, did
0: you do anything fancy to the eggs? Like did you add milk, butter, cream, anything?
1: You you can yeah. Like when you do but them like you... Starbucks. No, I chose okay. not to. Because I just chose I didn't have all the cream because I just didn't so no reason to, I didn't go buy it. So when I found that other one, I'm like, well, that looks easier. I'll just do the easier one. But I did look up how to do the little egg bites, but I did make them look like the egg bites, and then I put the you put the water in the you know they you put you put your eggs over the water and then you let the water the water keeps them moist, so it's like they get you know they get steamed. So you put the water in there underneath them, on the pan just below it, and then anyway, so they came out, and all I know is I didn't bring hardly any home. So they right, were on, just hang like, on, hang
0: on, hang on, hang on, hang, hang on. That's
1: all I got. That's all I'm going to give you. No. no. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: you, so you had a pan.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. The
0: egg mixture, With, but the, you had it like you almost. Oh, like and I poured them.
1: all the yeah, you steam them so that you put the. I mean, they're in the oven. So what I did is I I took the, I put all the, whatever I wanted in there. So I had a little ham. I had some ham and spinach and those people, I, the people I had, they were like older. Okay. I got a Sunday school class. My Sunday school class actually um, dissipated. In other words, the, my leader quit. And so I was just going to do Sunday school in the parking lot, and listen to my Christian music and you know, read my Bible in the parking lot. But my parents go to, I go to church for my parents too, And so they have their own Sunday school class. So I am in Sunday school class with all the people that are 20 years older than me. (laughs) And they love the sausage ones. That's all. My mother goes, okay, it's your turn for the treats. And I'm like, what am I going to make? So I started looking up those egg bites because I like those. So I looked up many recipes. I don't do the recipe unless I look up different ways to do it. And then I kind of do my own twist. Based on what I know and understand, so what I did is I took, I, you know, you have to take your. I did the little pans, the little bitty muffin tins, not the big muffin tins. Mm-hmm. And then you put your your ingredients in there, and then you take your egg mixture and you pour your egg mixture into each one of the muffin tins. And then you put your water in a pan, like a casserole dish or whatever, underneath on your bottom rack, and then on your center rack you put your eggs. And then you cook them at about two hundred for about twenty minutes.
0: Interesting.
1: To thirty minutes, you know. So how it would? How,
0: longer. how would you go ahead and finish your thought? Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. That's all right. I, I mean, say, I made a so big you, one time. How how do they compare? Would you say?
1: I don't know how uh, they compare. Where Did you not eat them? Uh, the are <laughs> like how do, I don't know. Uh, yeah, not no fault. I was thinking about how they are. Uh, everybody liked them. Yeah. So, uh, you're about your praise. Um, that's all I care about. And, uh, but no, the ones in at, um, I guess the, the ones from Starbucks were a little more rich because they had like Gouda cheese and they had, and I did different cheeses too. I did do Gouda cheese, but so that was my first time around and people liked them. But then the second time I made them, I just made them simple, simple, simple. And uh, didn't use but just cheddar uh like a Kobe cheese and put it put cheese on some of them. Now some of them I didn't put cheese at all because we've got somebody there that doesn't like they can't eat the, the dairy. And so anyway, everybody ate them. But now now the other day I made a, I could, I bake, I did a um, I did a New York strip mm. in my in my uh cast iron skillet. And I did Cash not. not's the only way. It's the only way when you're doing steak. Yeah. Unless you're doing steak on the grill. But sure. uh now my my brother and my son can cook a mean, uh, mean steak. I mean, it's so good. And then my my son can, he could, they can just do anything. But I decided, well, I have this New York strip. So instead of putting my seasoning on the actual New York strip, I let it rest and let it sit. You know, until it got like room temperature. And then I um, put my butter in the cast iron, salted butter, and then mm-hmm. I seasoned my butter. So I seasoned, seasoned it with uh, onion, you know, had some onion powder and some garlic and then some salt and pepper and probably something else. I don't remember. But anyway, just whatever I feel, I kind of smell it and then I, and then I just put whatever I think would taste good in there and then um anyway and then i seared my steak and then let it cook slow seared it and then kind of to keep the butter from burning i just let it cook slow after that what? turned it down
0: low this is going to be a random connection you said you smell things you just put in there is that is that happening in ratatouille there's a movie where he's yeah, like probably. is that ratatouille it could be where they like <laughs> he like sniffed something and they go. Yeah, you have the gift. <laughs> that's true. I don't know if it's right to let Someone, me tell it's gotta you Got to be something.
1: Go ahead. No, a, I was
0: just I don't I remember the movie. Now,
1: my husband, he's the one who actually taught me how to do all that because he when he cooked, he put stuff together. You're looking at it going. There is no way he never he never used a recipe. Never. And he did. He watched his grandma, and his grandma was from Mexico. And so she taught him how to cook because he would stay with her a lot. And so he would make all kinds of uh, dishes that he had learned from her, Uh, you know, caldo soup and stuff like that. But he would put it all together, and you're like, but he would do that. He would smell, and I'm like, I would not put that in there. He goes, oh, no, it'll be good. He just poured it in there. So he's the one who taught me how to do that. Because I would watch it. So I'm like, well, what are you smelling? So then he would let me smell it and then go, yeah, see, now this isn't going to work together. And he'd just show me how that, how those two wouldn't work together, but what would work. And so anyway, it's, he's the one who did a lot of that. So I, I watched my mom and I watched my grandma, all my grandmas. So I can make it, I'm make you a mean uh, Thanksgiving meal. Off. I can do all the fixings and everything all that because my grandma's taught me how to do all that with my mom and then uh but my mother made a my mother could cook she she still can but she's gotten into where everything bothers her because she's older you know you get a certain age and things start bothering you like like uh tomato sauce and things like that so you quit cooking with all your spices but um but she she made chicken fried steak and chicken and fried chicken i told her the other day we we went to a restaurant with fried chicken, and I said, "Mom, I miss that old fried chicken used to make." She goes, "Well, I did used to do that," and she told me how to dredge it up. So I'll have to see. She told me how she did it, so I'll have to see if I can do the fried chicken.
0: Drudge it in up in my cast what a, iron. What a dredge! What a,
1: it's really dredge is the well, word. Yeah, yeah, I
0: know, but that was a very southern. I said drudge version.
1: <laughs> well, my parent, my I mean, you know, we are tech from Texas. I, know. So I, I mean, hey, I'm here
0: are. with you. It just reminds me of a. that's what your parents remind me of. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but Uh, you know, I've only met them in person once, but yeah, at your retirement party, but they're so the way they kind of speak and hold themselves, you know, they're, they're educated people and they're, you know, they're educators and whatnot. And, but they're, they're very just kind of that old fashioned Southern that, uh, it's, it's like, honestly, it's my favorite kind of person to talk to. It's, it's what, uh, my grandma, she's, she's not alive anymore, but she, uh, that I used to have great conversations with her because she would just, honestly, she would just BS with me all the time. She's like, Oh no. Like when I was younger, right. You know, when you're younger, (laughs) you take on like your, your political beliefs of your parents. Right. And I remember when George Bush was running, right. My dad wanted George Bush to win. So I wanted George Bush to win. And I remember, and I used to love politics so much as a kid. And I would talk about them with anybody. I still do to a degree, but as a kid, it's special as an adult. You're just annoying. But She would go, oh, no, we got a Republican in the family. And then, (laughs) but then she switched. So when I became an adult, she became like, she switched sides. And so she was, she was always interesting, but anyway that's
1: yeah that's how yeah that's how they were everybody was was democrat you know when we were yeah younger. that was they
0: were the party of for the, all, the working the class right yeah. yeah that old democrat and then it all party. switched yeah, yeah and now it's like almost like, democrat is like the just, elitist like the like you know because yeah. you have your entertainers lady gaga and stuff like that so it has uh there's then for people who may not like pay attention to that there is like i only know the switch I am too young to really know, but I only know it because like I those people were in my family. Like that old school like Democrat almost was uh, Oh yeah. Those are my think, people. I so they would this, tell me all the time.
1: Yeah, I think the switch happened somewhere between the 70s and 80s is what I've determined.
0: <clears throat> yes, it kind of flip-flopped a little bit. <laughs>
1: Seems like it. But uh no, yeah. My yeah, that my grandmother, she was funny like that. But now my parents, my dad was raised on a farm. So he was on a farm all the way up until he was nine. So he'll still talk about it. He'll say, oh, I knew when to get up. Just had to, you know, we had to milk the cows. So no matter what. So he, his whole thing was, it's not about getting up. It's about going to bed. Because you sure didn't want to stay up past 12 and try to get up and went, milk the cows at four. So anyway, but yeah, we have all kinds of stories like that. But But the idioms that they have is what makes it really mm-hmm. classic. Mm-hmm. I mean... My grandma was funny. And when we put her, which she got where she didn't want to live with any of the kids. So she went to go live in, you know, like in a nursing home or whatever. Um, and uh, she didn't really like the, they finally put her in this room that it was real small. And she goes, Oh my gosh, this room's so small. If I coughed up a hair, I wouldn't even be able to cough up a hairball. <laughs> it's like, Grandma. Yeah, there's
0: always those phrases.
1: <laughs> she always had something, but that was one that, that I remember.
0: That's what I love. You know, it's so funny. I was watching. Um, we're going off on tangents. Sorry, guys. We Welcome really are. Draft. <laughs> there but is. You know. Go ahead. Oh, hang on. Hang on. No, you're good. So the, the phrases thing. This is interesting. We're gonna get some literature now. We're going to we're going to round it back. You guys always know we pull it in somehow. <laughs> is this. Uh... So I was watching this guy. You know, I was scrolling through Instagram and this guy came across and he was talking about. He was holding a book sideways. Right. So you could only see like the pages. And he was like, you know, I've been wanting to read this book for a long time. I'm obsessed with it. I'm only 45 pages in and I'm these I want to live in these characters. I want to live in this world or whatever. And he was kind of like teasing what it was. He was like, this is Stephen King's favorite book. He keeps he talks about all the time. I'm like, oh, my God, what is it like? What is this guy? This guy sucked in. He turns it over It was Lonesome Dove.
1: Oh my goodness. One of some
0: a fantastic novel. A, a novel uh-huh. uh, <clears throat> Larry McMurtry is a, a fantastic author. Um and it was a great movie too. It was a movie, right? Or was it a show?
1: Oh yeah, it was well it was a it was a one of those series. It was, like it was a, a mini series. series.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was I've like never seen the Thorn Birds. Oh yeah, all of that yeah. stuff. i would never seen it, but that book. Good stuff. one of the things like there's so many things uh in those characters that they say. But that like old town, like old like just the the old kind of I guess country sayings oh, yeah. and whatnot. That's what that's what stuff that reminds me of. I read that stuff for comfort. Like when I want like a comfort novel or a comfort story. It's anything that's a little bit southern like that that uh you know, it's just a little slower paced, right? It is. And it's it's well, interesting. It's the for people who don't know, I mean, we got people that listen all over like that is that's what people imagine Texas like, right? Is this like old dirt uh, and donkeys and horses well, and stuff? But it's well, there's but, a piece of our history that is that.
1: Well, it, it is. I mean, my grandpa my I had well, my grandparents they ended up getting divorced or whatever when I was 6 and so but my my dad's mom she grew up on that farm right and so she the the reason they didn't stay on a farm uh with you know my grandma my grandpa my dad's parents is because they got hailed out a uh, hailstorm came in and you know back then you had to go to church or you were shunned from the community right and i mean so they so instead of Grandpa wanted to work and my the story that I understand is grandma Grandpa wanted to keep working because he felt like a, the storms were going to come and and sure enough while they were in church they got hailed out and they lost everything so my dad had to go they had to go and move and of course good thing because that 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 happened because that's how my parents ended up meeting in the town that they ended up settling in but my grandmother always wanted the farm she wanted her guineas around her and so and a guinea is a type of a type of chicken if you will but it's not really a chicken it's a different kind of bird but they're really good for the rats just want to let you know but uh (laughs) learned all that stuff (laughs) so anyway but she married an an old-time friend because his wife had passed away and grandpa was married to one of the best women ever my other grandma mildred but he um she's she's uh, i see you got me going on my memories here but uh but anyway he she married a rancher and so he did cattle and the one time that i got hit by lightning (laughs) was at their house and so he told me to sit down granddaughter yeah i'm telling the truth so i'm out there i'm an adult at this time by this time and um And I'm out there at their ranch and you could see for miles because, you know, it's up in the panhandle. So it is flat. I had a friend from uh, I had a roommate in college from Switzerland and one of her comments about Texas and all that was the sky is so big. And it's really true. I mean, that's what Montana, you know, the sky is huge. It's so flat. So you can see that thunderstorm. Of course, we live in the city, so you don't get to see them like they like I did when I grew up there because I used to live up there. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go look. And he goes, now be careful because uh, that lightning, it just likes to hit. And the, just the other day, we lost the bell. I mean, it was a whole haystack, and it's gone. So you be careful. So I said, well, I'll just sit on the porch. So my grandma came out to talk to me. And I'm standing on the porch, but I'm leaning up against the, <laughs> against the wall. And sure enough, lightning hit one of those lightning rods. It came right down the wall. It threw me off the wall. (laughs) I ended up hitting my grandma and all that. Oh, my God. I don't know how I didn't kill my grandma. It threw me off the wall. And he comes around and goes, well, thank God you're wearing that hit something. I said, I know it hit me. And he goes, well, good thing you're wearing your, your tennis shoes. And I mean, I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so. He goes, I think I'd watch that from the kitchen. I said, I think we will. So, but the next day, the next day, because it was a really bad storm, I went with him and we actually ran the fence line. And the reason we ran the fence line is because the cattle will, during a storm, will get up on those fences and they'll get struck by lightning and a whole slew of them will die. So, you got to go out there and check it. So, I went with him to check the fence line. So, yeah, that's the
0: to check the cattle.
1: Yeah, check for dead cattle just in case they got up and got hit mm-hmm. by lightning. That's what, that's what we did that's and so interesting. horses and all that. So yeah, that is exactly, <laughs> that's, that's my childhood all the way up yeah. until they well, passed away back in the nineties.
0: So here's the thing. 80, I grew up, I grew 90s. up in the city, uh-huh. but my grandma and grandpa, right? My, uh, my grandpa's still alive. Um, he's in his late eighties. I don't think he's hit 90 yet, but he's pretty close. Um, he, so I would go out and stay with them, and they, for a long time, they lived out in a place called Blue Grove, Texas. Uh-huh. Not a lot of places out there. Not a lot of houses, just a lot of land. Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and we would go out there, and my dad liked it, because we would go out, and he was, he loved guns, right? So we would go, they had, like, ponds and lakes and stuff, so we'd go out, and he would, you know, he'd lay them out, and for the people who aren't in, like, I guess, just like gun culture necessarily, which is... You know, you take all your your rifles, your shotguns, your pistols and stuff. You clean them. You put them all out, and then the you know oh. the family goes out. You shoot targets, and that's what it that's is right. out in the middle of nowhere, that's right?
1: right? I did that. I did that with my son not too long ago.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, and uh, it's very it's it's <laughs> very common, and so but that's what I grew in up. Texas. <laughs> I know, I, so I grew up people that don't aren't like anywhere around here. Like, what is happening on this podcast <laughs> is... right now? There I'm were about our health. <laughs> It's fine. Whatever. Who cares? There were. <clears throat> so we'd go out and do that. And I loved it as a kid. Right. I loved you know, shooting pistols and stuff like that. My dad was very careful. He taught me gun safety and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a good learning experience, but it was it was a nice family thing. We all literally went out there and did it. My dad kind of walked us through and um, made sure we were we were safe and we were literally in the middle of nowhere. So it was, you know, we're shooting at uh, targets out by like the water yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so uh, that was like 30 minutes from my grandma's house. My grandma, they lived in this trailer, but around the trailer was all this land and they had horses, they had tons of cattle and stuff. But I remember when I would stay with my grandpa and grandma, they would, you know, there wasn't a lot to do. And so I wake up with my grandpa, like, you know, 4 a.m., 5 a.m., puts us in his truck. We drive for however long. And we go and check on all of his cattle that morning. Right. And he would check on all the fences and,
1: um,
0: do all that. And then we would always end. So he would work. I had no idea what he was doing. I was too young. Right. But I remember it and we would just have conversations. And, um, we would always stop at a little market on our way home, you know, 10 AM by the time that it's already been five hours, uh, you'd always get a little watermelon and then that's what I would eat it was just oh. a watermelon on our way home. And you know, they're, they're grown by the local farmers or whatever. Oh yeah. And it was, <clears throat> those are such vivid memories. And I'm like, what a time, like there are like, we're reaching, I mean, I'm sure there's places that still do this and there's people that probably have maybe connections to this till this day. But like, I like, if I could do that as an adult, I'd be all in like that, just whole process of just being, it's just a different life a different style of living. It's slower, it's calmer, it's connected to nature in a variety of ways. It's very, it's a thoughtful way of living that really like when you talk about like the, the, the parts of America that are quote unquote forgotten because of all the, the new areas and all the big cities that kind of drive innovation and political discourse and policy and everything like, That's the interesting part to me is like, I guess, middle America where it's like, you know, we still have all of this land that is just farm. Like these people still exist and these areas still exist, but it's just a different time and place. And that's why like, I love talking to people who are older than me because it's just like the memories. I think that's why you and me have such a bond. (laughs) Ocho. not to call you old, but like just just you, uh it's the... It's the, it's the generational gap that I find interesting. The, because I have those connections, but I've always felt connections to kind of the older, the, the older kind of generation. I'm connected to the newer, obviously, but it's still, it's interesting to me.
1: Well, you know, and, and uh, the thing is like my son, you know, he grew up a lot with both of my, his, his grandpa's. And one of them's a hunter from Colorado and they go they go to Colorado and they go. And so taught him how to fly fish, taught him how to do all that. My dad taught him how to build stuff. Bill, I even wrote a piece. Uh, maybe I need to pull all that stuff out. But anyway, years ago, I wrote a piece about him helping my, his papa build a fence. And so, you know, and that was one thing my, his dad, my grandpa, that's, that might be a good little piece because my grandpa, the one that, not the one that was the ranch owner, the one that lost his farm. Uh, when we were doing that drive that day, I'll, I'll remember this for a long time. And Dean, the grandpa Dean, he um, he talked about my actual grandpa, and he said, "You know, your grandpa was a good man." He had I think he'd passed away by then. And he goes, "Your grandpa was a good man," he said. He said, You see those fence put that fence corner, those corners? He said, He put those up. Let me tell you, those you see a an old fence around here and it's got a good corner. That's because your grandpa put them up. He put up the best corners. So my dad had to help him build those corners. So my dad built fences. Well, then i then there was a time where he said, Come on, grandson, we're gonna build this fence. And so they actually built the fence around their house. And I've you know that they have, um, I think it's now since gone because you know but it was pretty cool. Um, thinking about that. So my, my son does all of those things. Like when he wants to live in the country, they want to get a ranch, they want to do, you know, so he, he's like you in that sense that he just, that that's what he's actually, uh, using his resources to actually go do, you know, so it's, it's kind of cool, uh, to see that kind of sort of handed down. Uh, but here's the thing and tying it back. Cause we're, you know, going back to writing, but this is the kind of stuff that our kids in their classroom, like you and I, are sharing stories. I'm sure I'm hoping that while people are listening to us, it's it's probably pulling up hopefully memories for themselves because you started talking and then it reminded me of this, and then you know, so we we said that that's why conversations in the classroom are so important. And so I think I think when we listen to our students' stories and we use those stories to help them write, help them find books, things like that, to help them make connections. And I think it's important that we hear our kids' stories because, you know, they have the same things, but they might have a different culture or something else. They might have a a grandpa who experienced something else, you know, et cetera. So I think, I think, I think all of our stories are important.
0: Well, that, I mean, to go to... That conversation. Hey, guys, this is Crafted Draft. Welcome. That's Pamela Trump taking a test I, I set it up. We're two teachers down in the state of Texas doing what we love, talking about everything. Literally, the podcast is evolving in 2024 to cover all kinds of topics. Um, but truthfully, we love reading, writing, workshop, but we love talking real-world things and seeing how we connect the real world to teaching. I mean, truthfully, that's what we're about to round into, I feel like. That's where this conversation is going. Sometimes we say mm-hmm. we're going to talk about something, we turn on the microphone, and we're in. And then we just go. And this is what we love about doing this show is you get what you get. You know, one of my favorite compliments that we ever got was from Leah. She jumped in and visited us on our (laughs) podcast and, uh, She watched our lives that we did um, Thanksgiving. For those of you who haven't seen those, we did tons of extra content uh, for the Thanksgiving break that we had uh, and a bonus training. You can get all that at patreon.com slash crafts and draft. But Leah was one of the ones who showed up literally every single time except for one. Um, And she was like, one of the things she said off air was, you know, I was really shocked that how you guys just flow from topic to topic and you know I always thought y'all edited it but no that's really how y'all talk and I'm like yeah we just kind of we don't shut up is the problem that's really our biggest <laughs> really issue is. um and it, it's been that way since we met it's been that way when we were in the same office it's been that way yeah. when uh, we we call each other Uh, Just at any point in the day, the conversation just goes and goes, and that's why the podcast exists. We're like, might as well record these things. So um, (laughs) it's what we love. If you love that, subscribe. So you don't miss any other episodes. We drop them pretty much every single Friday, but every week for sure. Uh, We dive into all kinds of topics of, uh, surrounding literacy, reading, writing, workshop, everything subscribe, leave a review and join us on Patreon. If you would like those Patreon supports really do help us and you can get tons of bonus content, including craft and draft setup, tons of training, tons of bonus podcasts, etc. cetera. And you can join the likes of Donna, Amanda, Matt, Jen, Lori, Hannah, Andrea, Tracy, Susan, Natalie, Lori, Destiny, Melissa, Carol, Courtney, Rebecca, Sarah, Amy, Mark, Leah, Brandy, and Alicia all have all right ladies and gentlemen let's continue the conversation so miss ochoa the, the 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 conversation and the memory thing okay so we're gonna we're probably gonna pivot a little bit because uh from our original idea which is fine we never told anyone what the original idea is anyway so no one knows no one will know the secret topic that we were going to talk about but i like we'll, this, we'll just bring that up next yeah that's fine i mean next time but this idea of creating conversation to get kids to write, is <clears throat> stuff that I find interesting because you never know what's going to connect. And this is why I've always advocated for the, you know, I've said multiple times on the podcast that I, I tried to do a mini lesson every day. Realistically, it was like three to four mini lessons a week with some type of data check on Thursday, Friday. Um, and then maybe a day where it wasn't so pressured for lessons or anything. We just read and write, uh, wrote and read, but uh, that was kind of what I did. And my reasoning for that was, I never knew it was going to stick. Um, but you can also do that with an in-depth lesson as well, right? A novel can, can connect to kids at various times. Uh, Someone may connect to the idea initially, but they may not connect really until page 50, page 60, page 70, whatever. Um, but the idea that I think a lot of people miss, and this is a conversation that is hard to articulate with somebody. I was talking to a teacher today, um, who she was saying all the good, right. She was like, I know I need, she was like, I, 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 she was like, my kids aren't writing enough. I know they need to write more. Right. I I know they need to be putting more words on the page. I do this like, we've only had so many assignments, but I'm struggling to make that happen. And it was hard to, it's really easy just to say the things, but it's hard to look at what you're doing and say, you know what? I know you feel the pressures of the test coming up and the data that you have to have and the, everything that the curriculum's asking you to do, but you know what you need to do? You need to have time for conversations about their past, right? And you know, but it's, it's the the art of teaching, which is what we rail against in terms of what's killing the art of teaching is these, these programs, these, these curriculum guys that are written by people that don't know your kids, these, 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 uh, things that are literally fit into this nice little box. And I say, Hey, you do this and your kids are going to grow. The art of teaching is knowing your kids and knowing how to facilitate what they need to learn within this realistic context and what we would have done, right? We just had nearly a 30 minute conversation about, I mean, food that range to the country that range to memories as kids and everything. But think of the, all of the touch points that we just created for writing, for thinking, for team building, right? Even outside of just literacy, just creating a culture in your classroom of kids, saying and understanding things with each other. All of those things lead to a more literate life. If you want kids to make connections that are deeper, you have to have space for this. Like, I don't understand why we expect literacy to happen in a vacuum. We have this concept of, I'm just gonna, you know what, I'm tell me about the best day ever. And you're going to write an essay about that. It's like it doesn't work like that. It's like when someone asks you, you know your your favorite However, anything.
1: My son got a four on that topic, by the way. Just
0: <laughs> of course he did. <laughs>
1: that but was, that's because he made up his best day ever.
0: <laughs> of course, that's what happens. And I I've taught kids that way. I'm like, if you don't have a best day, yeah. you just make it up. No one knows.
1: That's, yeah.
0: And so, and I had a kid that really took that to the extreme. He wrote all of these ridiculous things. I was like, "I hate you, but well he
1: it, well, what's interesting I'm sorry I'm, I'm you're good I you're don't good. Want to Go. keep your thought, but he really did It was the best day ever that apparently was the topic. He was a fourth grader, and my son uh loves military, and so he would so to get him to read at home and to do things like that, I had all these books and Videos and everything it all dealt about military he knew all about world war ii is really big on it but his best day ever is he and his buddy his best friend he put them in a plane off of the i guess it was an i don't know what what the the actual uh ship was but it was an aircraft carrier and they went out in their planes and saved the day and they he wrote all about it and and, uh, but it was his best day because back then they did let them make it up because that's one of the things. It's a little, you know, they were doing creative writing or something. But anyway, he came back and landed and it was his best day ever because he saved all the, and they all, you know, clapped for him as he was coming in uh, to land. And anyway, all that stuff. So, but the whole thing is, is, is he took something he loved and he put himself, he loved history especially war history, he put himself in it and he used, I mean, he told me about it. That's why I know what he wrote because he's the one who told me what he wrote about. But anyway, it turned out to be, he ended up getting a four on it, but it was pretty cool. Best day ever. But, but it's because he did all this reading It's because whoever his teacher was, whatever you love, put it in your writing. Anyway, go
0: ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, it's this, this, this idea Right. This insistence that I, I don't I don't know where it comes from, but it's like we expect writing to come from a vacuum. It's like, oh, I taught them brainstorming strategies. I mm-hmm. taught them this. I taught them that. And it's like it that's not where writing comes from. And I, I really in true writing comes from what we did for 30 minutes where we went down memory lane and we went from topic to topic to topic And there's so many ideas there, there's so many visions, there's so many things, but you have to train kids, you have to train young minds, you have to train adults to realize what's a good idea. And the only way you do that, the only way is to teach kids how to put words on the page, how to not fear putting one sentence after another, put one line after another, put one word after another. Once you do that and they get used to that process and they start messing with ideas and say, oh, I want to write about this. And they write about it and like, oh, this failed. And they write about something else. So like, Oh, I lost steam. And they write about this or whatever. That stuff teaches you how to write. But you uh-huh. only, you literally only learn that by writing. You only learn what doesn't work by doing it. It's it, it right. that is writing is so unique in that way. Uh, it, I mean, reading is too, like, I guess literacy, because you, you, you learn what you like as a reader by reading tons. That's why I love Donald Miller. It's like, you don't, no one has time for bad books. You read something, you get tired of it. Sweet. Switch to the next one. You do that enough. You're going to find something you're stuck with. But if you only read what's put in front of you and you're forced to only read the book you chose for that six weeks, for those nine weeks, and you have no wiggle room whatsoever, guess what you're going to learn to do? Not like reading and you're going to fake read your way through it. But if I give you endless options and but you are reading and I've gotten that piece, you're going to eventually find something in writing. We may find 10,000 ideas that aren't going to work, but you're going to find some eventually that you're going to want to write about that you're going to want to finish, but you don't know what that feels like until you've done all that other stuff. But what we have is a diet of students who only write when they're told to write and they power through bad ideas, bad form, bad everything, just because the assignment's due and their teacher's telling them they have to do it, they're going to fail. And well, that's that,
1: my experience in school.
0: Yes, it, I, it's mine and it's what I see all the time. Now, I have teachers in my building who do that, and I have teachers in my building who don't, and I got to tell you, the teachers who let their kids write, who give, who set up their classrooms in this free way, right? Not, not just willy-nilly, right? But in a very constructive, but kids are, they own their writing, they're, they're, put, they're writing enough to learn what's good and what's bad. That's education, Learning how to write an email that sounds good versus doesn't is education, but you don't learn those things without doing it. And we think we're doing it by assigning, but I often, I feel like the assignment is is the, almost like the one of the lowest parts of the tier list of what should happen in a writing classroom. Oh. Just speaking about it right now, how do you feel about that statement? <laughs> like that, I've never put it that way, but I almost feel like the assignment itself is 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 like in a in a tiered list it is near the bottom of importance uh, in terms of getting kids to actually master or not master but grow as writers what do you think am i off well, no, base I, on that
1: no i don't think so i mean i think you i i, I agree uh, but i think that if we're going to make assignments we have to we do have to think about what we're asking them to do and we have to make sure that those assignments are open enough And of course, I think if you've been listening to me for a long time and that would be open enough to invite choice, invite their own personal um, parts to it. And I mean, I don't know, I I already talked about earlier that I go to Sunday school and I go to church and I sit there in a church and we have a really good pastor. But one of the things is he's really good about is he brings himself. He doesn't talk at the people. But he talks with the people, but what he does is he brings in his own personal experiences and he and he he's he's talking about like when maybe when he failed or when he learned something, but he is he's given this big one hour speech, right? And it's really an argument because he's trying to get you to understand something so that you can understand um God in the way that he understands God. And so in the Bible, etc. So he's got arguments. He's got his points. They're all biblically based, but he brings himself and he puts himself in to his sermons to in such a way that he's with us, not at us. And so that's in a sermon. That's a formal speech. When you're looking at even formal informational, te- like, like magazine articles or anything like that, they have story inside of those informational texts. It's yep. not, we teach, we have a tendency, or our curriculum is set up that you only do information. Information is, you got to have a definition, you have to have an explanation, you have to have a conclusion, you have to have your thesis statement. But there's, but some of the best informational texts are those that include story. And it might not be hit that person's story, but it's a story that they see. It's, I mean, that's what brings the news. Like if, you, if you're if you a news watcher and you're trying to get information and you're, you know, it's the story that they sell. That's what makes the news. And that is what I think we leave out is that story is that self. And that's why I think it's important that when when we do create assignments, going back to that assignment, um, you got to keep it in such a way and teach in such a way that you allow the students to write about what they know best. And what they know best is themselves and their world. I know my world because I live in it. I'm not going to explain it very well, but, you know, as as a, the egg thing that we did, but, you know, you said, hey, wait a minute, go back. So I'd have to revise, right? But the whole thing is, is, is I know that world. So I could revise and add what I needed to because it's my story. And uh, and there was information in that, but yet it was my experience uh, that led us to that, if you will, informational piece about how to how to fix egg bites, <laughs> right? I mean, that was an informational piece. And so it's, but it was interesting if it was interesting to everybody else, but it was interesting to us because it was my story about how I went Correct. about doing it.
0: Well, and that's the thing, like there's a, what did there, oh, man, I forget, I'm referencing so many things without actual, <laughs> uh, without, without actual names, but there's a, there was a, maybe I don't, it wasn't the network. The network was a movie that came out before this oh, yeah, maybe, it was- or maybe it was, I love the network, by the way, mm-hmm. the network has the best monologue. This is a total side subject, the best monologue. Um, about uh, it's when he you know he's yelling for people who haven't seen it, it's an amazing movie made in the 70s, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, like absolutely astounding. But you know, it's like he he you know, he has like this epiphany about like what the news media is, etc., and he's kind of ranting, but he has a, a, a monologue where he's like, The tube, the tube is controlling you, and it's just like this, uh, and it's like th- talking about like YouTube and everything, like it had like talk about decades being so far advanced in your rant about what the power of media over people. Holy moly. Um, anyway, there's this, uh, there was this, uh, movie I was watching and it was talking about, uh, how, what CNN did for news was so astounding essentially, because before CNN, right before the 24 hour news cycle, it really was about facts, almost right. Maybe not fully, but it was the news itself was more like, "Hey, this is mm-hmm. what happened." Yeah, that's it. And then it was
1: objective. Objective is yeah, a,
0: a more objective than what we mm-hmm. see today. But then right. when when media and advertisers got involved, what happened? It became more about the narrative. It became more about the story behind what's happening. That's what affects things so much. That's what... That's what gets people invested. It's not necessarily the facts of what happened. It's the story, and we know this story has. Human beings are wired to tell stories. We we we, we live in in a in a world where there's a reason why gossip exists. There's a reason why uh, the the old you know uh, Beowulf was told uh, you know through verbal. Uh, uh, verbalization forever, right? And it was uh, in the Iliad and all these other things. Um, It is this, we are so drawn to story, right? There's a reason why, you know, uh, Courtney, you know, she always calls out my biblical references, but there's a reason why there are like the stories in these these biblical texts that may not be factual in the terms of just like historical facts, but the stories themselves encapsulate a truth that that is beyond possibly just a a a basic this is what happened and why right um and so I think that like you said, teaching that story exists in songs, right? Tom Petty wrote stories. Bob Dylan yeah. wrote stories. Jimi Hendrix wrote stories. Uh, Metallica wrote stories. You know, I just watched a video where Elton John was talking about Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. is one of the greatest songs ever written. And it, really? was, it was so interesting to listen to him say that because Elton John is considered um one of the greatest songwriters of all time um even though he didn't write most of his lyrics he wrote the songs but um he had other people write his lyrics but um all of that to say like
1: yeah one, when, one of my favorite stories that he does is or that they did was leave on anyway go ahead yeah
0: no for sure right he, he and we have these the right story. and mm-hmm. there's there's stories that are more in more abstract art forms, right? There's stories in art. In, in like paintings, drawings. There's there's have you seen I'm sure you have. There's a National Geographic photo that's super famous of a I of don't know her eye. nationality, but she's like it's like her eyes are like they're yeah I think they she's actually a, found her. Yeah, later but, and they re they redid the picture, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, she um yeah, it was her eyes but it was Af- isn't she Afghanistani? Or yeah I mean, she like might that. be yeah. She's, she's from the middle East though. Yeah.
0: That's that's what I thought. Right. But uh, you know, pardon any, any misconstrue of that one. But yeah. the, the fact is, is that like the, but the picture tells a story. Yeah. There's a famous, there's another famous picture in national geographic where, um, I love national geographic, but there's another picture where it's like this boy, um, in a, in a in a very desolate country where he's almost skin and bones, right? He, he, he looks, you know, four or five and he's over, but there's a, a crow or a vulture, sorry, like right behind him that happened to land, right? And the narrative of the story is that the vulture is essentially waiting for this boy to die. Right. And, but the, the foot, the photographer came out and he was like, that's the story technically this picture portrays, but that's not what happened right there was there was literally trucks like right outside the view of the picture of feeding food. water and food and all this other stuff mm-hmm. but the story told was so impactful and that's where like when we talk about curriculum that only pushes, nonfiction. We got to have kids read articles. We'd have kids just have kids do that. But we don't teach the art of building a narrative, building conflict. That is it's essential to the human experience. And it goes so far into the power of reading and writing. It's almost undeniable. But you can tell when you're talking to someone who doesn't understand literacy is when they completely discard that. And you and I have faced and worked with people like that.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, they and and I think because of the way curriculum is written and things like that, a lot of times is you end up losing the argument because you're really facing a whole wall of people that are like, nope, we've got to do nonfiction. Correct. And that's not it's not nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And and I've also had them say, well, but there's an anecdote. What's the whole and the art of putting an anecdote, which is your story <laughs> yeah. in these pieces? That's a part of. I mean, that's a part of all informational persuasive argument text, is it not? And the thing is, they'll say, oh, well, yeah, but we can't teach the kids that because it'll distract them. And then now they'll write a personal narrative. And the thing is, is we got to teach them how to write that a personal narrative is separate from whatever. Well, I mean, yes, but really the anecdote is just one piece of that personal narrative. So you you might start with that you know personal narrative you might and I, that's one of the things I'm sorry I didn't finish that sentence but the but the thing is it made me think about how when you when you work with your kids i've seen you do it you pull in and we've talked about this over and over but you pull in so many different types of text to show how that's actually an argument or how that's actually you know giving you information how that's actually you know whatever it is but that you're trying to teach them. But you pull in poetry, you pull in story, you pull in informational text. You you'll pull in a persuasive writing piece. You'll pull in a magazine article. You'll pull in a, a song. You'll pull in all these different things. Right? It might all be thematic. That's why I like to mm-hmm. teach thematically. To be honest, but um, but you 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 bring all of those out. Well, that's exactly how you want them to respond. So one of the things that I remember you doing is you're doing all that somebody might write a poem somebody else might write a story somebody else might write a song and then you're going to say okay now that you've written that what's another way that you could say the same thing but in another form and now if you've written a personal narrative like connected it personally that's why I like I like to use memories and things like that because the kids will connect personally they write personally okay so go back through all of your personal writings right about your personal narratives or whatever is there a story that you have that relates to what you're trying to share today if there is pull that little segment out and insert it into where it belongs you know that if if it will help you with your argument if it'll help you prove your point then take that little memory and insert it or take somebody else's story and insert it here and i but i think i think that's one of the things that we don't do and i think um i don't know i was just i think that's how i got around it does that make sense is i allowed so many different genres now when it came time to do the test my kids have been so experienced in all these different genres right by the time we get to the test now i just teach the genre that goes with the test writing and i teach them how to read the prompt so they'll know which genre they're familiar with how they can actually go in and use it to answer the question on that test so what what is that test taker uh, test not taker but creator what is what are they looking for let's read the prompt let's teach you how to read the prompt and then let's see what they really want and then you write you, you figure out your connections, you brainstorm, you do those types of things, whatever you need to do. I always had the kids, me, you know me, list all the different things that just popped into their brain. I, I think sometimes the the thing, the reason why I like list and not necessarily always, and, and it does work. I think it's important to teach them uh, different graphic organizers, because sometimes they think like that. I don't want to assume that The kids don't think, so I want to teach them all the different ways to graphically organize their thoughts because that might help them, right? But either way, they're creating a list, no matter what that list looks like. It fits them, but it's connected to that prompt. Now they pull and they start thinking about ideas. Well, we've been doing this all year long, so that's not foreign to them. It's not foreign to them because they've been used to writing All year long. And Mm -hmm. when when I'm asking them to write on this test, it's not about whether they can or can't or find enough to say. The problem is, can I reduce it enough uh, to include what I needed to do, which is another skill in itself.
0: Well, and here's the thing, right? This is... I need a, I need a shirt that says, here's the thing. I feel like I it's the quote I, I, I hear myself say that all the time, <laughs> but this is, you know, it's so funny when we really get into the the weeds or what we're talking about here, and I hope people are still with us because I feel like this is, the, I feel like this right here is what fires us up and it's so hard to articulate. We have to have an hour to get to these points because it's, yeah. it's, this isn't this isn't quick fix. This isn't something that happens overnight. It's not something you could just do tomorrow and it's be, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes a cultivation. It takes caring about your kids. But, and it, this reminded me of rightfully empowered because not because I wrote the book, but because of the kids, but there's a piece and we're talking about memories, right? Um, there's a chapter three, it's called an invitation to write. We've talked about invitations before. I'm not the first person to talk about that. We, all of our people that we talk about, you know, Nancy Atwell, Jeff Anderson, Penny Kittle, Kelly Gallagher, all of them talk about that invitation. Just, Hey, I'm inviting you to share your story. I'm inviting you to share your narrative. um, one of the things and one of my proudest moments was getting kids just to even care about their writing. And I've, I've said so many times, if you get kids to write about something that they're passionate about, they're going to care about making it good. Right. And one of the things I say in here is um, I say the minds of children and young adults soar with ideas, thoughts, emotions, observations, questions, rants, reflections. They might not be the thoughts traditional school models want, but they are there and they can be quite striking in their power. And one of the things I read and I got to read, um, this was actually, I don't know if you remember this Ochoa, but I got to, I was one of the people in one of our convocations that we had with, you know, the 5,000 educators. I was one of the videos that they played and they came to me and like Chastain, we need you. What do you want to do? And I said, I would love to read one of my students pieces. And this was the piece, right? And this connects to what we're talking about, right? So this was, I don't, I, I 100% don't fully remember the mini lesson that inspired this. This is one of my students who became uh, an avid writer, but um, she wrote this. She said, I really wish I got to see you before COVID, before the heart attack. I still have so many things to say to you. I just want one more hug, one more, I'll see you next year, ma, one more night at your house. One more time trying to teach us how to fish. One more time talking about how we should move in with you. One more time riding in the lawnmower and the little cars around the neighborhood. One more time feeding the cats. Even though you said not to. And that was it. That was her piece. Right? Well, but it's it's I got like five thousand educators in that district got to hear that. But I, and I told her, I said, hey, I'm gonna read this piece because it's a paragraph. And it's, it's repetition, right? I remember that piece now that I read it out loud. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what I was teaching, repetition, and the power of saying the same, using the same kind of sentence starter and saying, you can say something mm-hmm. so powerful here, right? And she says, one more, one more, one more. And she used it as a memory of, oh, one more me to me means one more for something I have lost, for a person I've lost, her grandpa. right? And it's, I mean, talk about power. But that paragraph, which was a piece, by the way, would not exist if I said, write a fair five paragraph essay
1: or write about something you lost. Exactly. It
0: would or not. Write that about, piece, I mean, exactly. Yeah. That piece came about through careful cultivation of many lessons that were trying to inspire and conferences. I remember having those conversations with her. Like I said, I don't remember the many lessons that fully inspired that, but I do remember having that conversation with her And I was like, tell me about that. Go through this. And it was, I mean, it was a big piece for her. And that right there though, that is, you can't boil that down into a curriculum guide. You can't like we, you and I have, we've talked about Lucy Calkins. We've talked about all of these people, you know, Kelly Gallagher even has written stuff for textbooks and stuff, but it's, it's, it's completely disingenuous to say like, those things are the be all end all. They're tools for sure. Well, you and I have both used textbooks. There's nothing wrong with textbooks. There's nothing wrong yeah. with curriculum guides. There's nothing. We're, nothing we've said is that what we're talking about is you have to set up a classroom, an environment, a learning uh, space for kids to where you, those are tools. The textbook is a tool. The curriculum guide is a tool. The scope and sequence is a tool. But the art of teaching, the mastery teaching that you should be aiming for is this deep connection with kids connecting with stuff that they want to talk about and you teaching through that and writing stuff that is powerful to them that they care about because that is that's that's. That's what it's all about. But that piece right there, like you and I could write a piece like that. We could, you and I could use that as a model text for what we talked about for the first 30 minutes of this podcast of our memories, right? Yeah. For me, yeah. you know, when I was talking about my grandma, like I wish I had one more time with her, you know, doing this, one more time doing this, one more time doing this. It's a great model text. And I'm sure whatever I showed was like that. And that's, that is the the most unique thing that we're talking about on this podcast, which is why we've we continuously, I guess, beat the drum of this idea of workshop. That's what workshop does. That is, is, it's almost like a dying art. And, and that's what scares me a little bit, but that's, I don't know that I I, I, I get so inspired when I read their writing because it's, it's, it's so that's the point of what we're talking about is you, our classrooms, when we say we need to mimic reality, right? When we need to, put the real world into our classrooms. We're not, you know, we have school stuff. We've said this ad nauseum. We have tests, we have standards, we have all those things. But you can teach that through authentic choice, voice, uh, and freedom, but it takes art and it takes time to to grow in that. And that is what I'm afraid a lot of people and a lot of curriculum guides and a lot of district people just don't acknowledge is it takes time to to be a master teacher that way we've lost the art of master teaching.
1: Well, I think we, well, I mean, I, I'd like to disagree with you on that, but I mean, I do think we still have master teachers out there. I know we do. And, but sure. I mean, th- I mean, we lost just, the
0: art of like the, that's the focus.
1: But, but, but I think due to, I guess movements out of our own control, if you will, hopefully. And what I mean by that are, are mandates and objectives and things like that that really don't have the kids' heart and their minds in the forefront. It to me, it's it's all about results, and but it's not really the results that are good for the kids. Does that make sense? I don't know how to say, I don't it's hard to word it to be honest. I'm I'm having difficulty with that cuz I'm not afraid of testing. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not against testing in the sense that because I have my own anecdotal story that can prove that I'm not really going to say right now but but with the test proves to those who don't understand what I do, that what I do works. So I need the test to prove to them that what I, to to really kind of leave me alone, because she always gets results, whatever it is, just leave her alone, let her get her results. And so to me, the tests are important in that, in that light. Uh, I use them for my own benefits to make sure, sure. that I do teach Absolutely. what, and for the kids to make sure that I do teach what, I mean it's a great way for me to see where I am having gaps and where I need to to fix it so that the kids don't have any gaps but I don't think that in in the light of trying to get those results and what we're talking about the way they write curriculum and and this these days uh all this prescription that I feel is is coming down the pike uh telling our teachers how much how many minutes they need to spend on flashcards and how many minutes they need to spend on everybody reading the same book. And you know me, I'm an advocate for everybody reading the same book, but not every book needs to be all the same book. I mean, kids have to have choice, but we don't want choice, or at least it feels like the powers that be, if you will, don't want people to have choice. And I think that 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 is probably my, if, if you don't have choice, you don't have the art. I really don't, you have to have, but you have to have choice. And and I just, as I told you years ago, and I say years ago, it's at least six years ago where I told you, I like my autonomy. <laughs> I can't remember a conversation we had about something else, but I told you, I like my autonomy. I like to explore and I like to learn. I love learning anything and everything. I've been, you know, I've been painting, I've been, drawing i like to cook i like to do all of those things that i'm when i'm always working i i can't do so much so yeah, you know, i made a mean pot of spaghetti the other day but i'm telling you it was so good i almost had to i had to tell myself you cannot eat it i had to put it in in um tubs where i would not eat all of it at one time so it was so good so the whole thing is i like learning how to do all of that stuff well that's what our classroom should be about it should be about inspiring kids to learn about things and finding their passion and opening up like you said I loved I loved what you said about deep connections in a safe environment and I think when we create that and then we make those deep connections then the the kids you're teaching the kids that it's okay to learn deeply and it's okay to expose yourself and to be vulnerable in the sense of of what you're really thinking inside and what you're feeling and and uh and like you said that that is an area that I feel like I've made me different from some of the other teachers that I've worked with. And I'm not doubting teachers in any way. They all sure. do what they can do within sure. what they can do. But I've been told that I was from another planet a few times because of the way I've been told I chase rabbits and people want, you know, strict, you know, um, whatever guidelines, or I don't know, but I'm, I, I'm more open to allow the kids to explore, but yet I, I know how to get them to do what we need to do i always have the the test or the end result in mind the objective in mind i never lose the objective so i let them explore within the boundaries that i'm i can allow and yet at the same time and i did this in all of my subjects you know i taught i didn't just teach english i taught geography when i when i was told i was different from everybody else was when i taught geography because i would show them pictures and we would write about different places where do you think this is and they would write a story about it they'd put themselves in the story and then i'd turn around and teach them where they're at and then we teach them about the other place now let's insert some of the people we've learned about in our story next thing you know they're all remembering i i had them create their own maps i didn't give them outlines of maps to draw and color I mean, to color, they actually learned to draw a map and use mathematics to do so. And so those are the things. And then, you know, they got to choose within their map making how they wanted it to look, et cetera, or what they wanted to focus on. So those are things that I did. I've always done that. And as a result, the kids learn. They enjoy learning. They come back and tell me if they ever run into me. Sometimes they go, do you remember when we did? And they remember those moments. And as a result, they're able to use them later in life and that's what my goal is when I teach is I don't want to teach the kid to be able to pass my test I want I want to teach that student to be a problem solver thinker good citizen whatever you want to know be able to make it on their own and have their own autonomy later and be able to solve their own problems through reading and through writing or maybe sometimes we just need to relax and enjoy and take in reading. Well, this gives them a way to do it. So it's not just about the learning. Sometimes it's just about the enjoyment. And you want to make sure you include all of that when you teach. And it's it's difficult, I think, because the number one thing that I hear teachers say is, but Pam, you don't understand. We don't have time to do what you want. Yep. And I say there's yep. a way to do it. Within the time that you have, and there's a lot you can do. And you know me, those two minute, five minute moments, you just got to plan your time in such a way that you can get the kids, you know, and it's, it's through connecting, even if you're having to,
0: yeah, go ahead, go Uh, ahead, go ahead. No.
1: Well, even if it's, if it's a mandated text that you have to teach, then teach within helping those kids find their own connections within that text.
0: But it's all about connections. Go ahead. 100 percent and this is you. it's so funny to hear this we're going long tonight but that's okay i don't have anything else to do um okay. our you and i have hashed out so many of these conversations we we would talk in our office and we would i set my camera um we would talk and go through what it, what does this mean? Like we would boil down this and we would go, okay, we have a job to do. Sure. Never have we hit. We, if anything, I feel like we're the most honest group of people that are trying to pay homage to the realities of teaching, but also uh, pitch a, a different perspective to, to fit in there. Um, but, we've we've had those conversations and that's when we we brought up Rosenblatt's research and you and I were diving into stuff that we had read but we hadn't really put into a modern context recently and we're talking about you know how the reader brings so much value to the page right the reader is creating meaning just as much as the writer is trying to create meaning and what does that what does that look like when you're teaching readers and writers right not just readers not just teaching kids how to read critically, but what does that mean as a writer and teaching young writers? And a lot of this has, has reflected in a lot of ways. And if you don't mind, I want to indulge just a small piece of rightfully empowered again, because this is stuff that like rightfully empowered is such a unique piece of work for me. Cause I feel like it's my, my most persuasive writing, but it's such a unique uh, little corner. But this is one thing I say about the workshop teacher. Okay. This is what I say. I say, The workshop teacher becomes a constant investigator into powerful excerpts and pieces that will provide students with not only tools to learn from, but also words to live by and engage with. Knowing who your writers are as people is key to making this work long term. Talking with them to learn what they think what drives them as people will guide you to model texts that will fire them up. Just using what is provided to you through your district's curriculum or textbook will be a lesson in frustration and most likely a lesson in a severely non-diverse reading environment. The steady and voluminous diet that we feed students in the workshop should reflect the real world, their world for too long. It hasn't. And it's clear that the world today at least here in the United States, is evidence enough that it needs to change. Mandated curriculum or not, our students need to be exposed to great texts that verify their own existence and offer insights into others' experiences. The invitation these texts offer is the platform that empowered writers stand on. And that's, ultimately, that's what we're talking about here, is Mm -hmm. an empowered writer, an empowered reader, is someone who realizes that their life has meaning. I mean, that's ultimately what we're talking about It's like, it doesn't matter how insignificant, like my grandma had no idea that my, her stories were going to be shared on a podcast, right? <laughs> my, uh, and I've written so many things about her. She's, she's so significant to my life in so many ways. My grandpa had no idea that his, my trips with him when I was younger would end up on a podcast. I would read literally, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people over time. <clears throat> and that I think is the unique aspect of life. But our kids, the reality they live is your voice matters more than you think it does. It's, it's the same thing I say to teachers <clears throat> that are down and teachers that are struggling. I'm like, you have no idea what your impact is. You might be struggling personally. You might be going through a divorce. You might be going through financial struggle. You might be going through depression. You might be going through unknowable problems that no one knows. But you showing up every day to your classroom, standing at your door, shaking hands, high-fiving kids, playing music, having fun. You are helping so many young people. And to talk to you, Ochoa, you talked about your rabbit holes and how people have not understood that. You're such an artist in how you teach that I have always said, you know, it's the Ochoa, it's the Ochoa rabbit hole. Like you're going there, but you always end up where you're supposed to be. It is, it is your style. It's your unique approach. And I think that's what teachers, I think as an, this is why I wanted to become an administrator is I, so why true story. And this is probably a, a nice, uh, at least start to our capstone of this podcast, which is. We had a teacher. They left mid year. We had to hire someone new. She just graduated, brand new, fresh teacher. Never she's taught, uh, you know, student teaching and stuff, but she's never taught a class. Brought her in. I literally looked at her in the face and I said, "This is what I need you to do. I you're gonna hear the stress of other teachers because they're coming in. You know, brand new year. They're mid year. They've already had all these kids. They've had all this. I was like, you embrace who you are." you build your relationships, you build your culture, you do this, and then you teach. Teaching comes later. You teach through your style always. It doesn't matter if you're in a a strict curriculum environment or a loose curriculum environment. You find your style and you find how everything else fits through that. And if I could, that's my, that is my stance always because that's what I respected. When I had principals that let me, hey, Jacob, I need you to do this. But then they let me do it my way. I blossomed. And so I've always been like, look, I need you to A, B, and C. You choose how you do it. You choose what that looks like in your classroom. You choose this. But the way teachers do that to me is you learn your kids. Mm -hmm. You've had kids where you're like Chastain... I know we had this plan, but the, this group, this class needs to learn this way. And this is what I do. And we've all had that moment, right? Where it's oh, like, man. I have to shift a little bit. And that, but that is teaching. That is mastery teaching. That is learning your craft, learning how to move forward, learning how to do this. And that to me is a lost art. Not in the sense that teachers aren't doing it. I think more and more, I, I think we're in an era And maybe I'm wrong and hopefully I'm wrong, but I think we're in an era where the teacher is becoming less the expert. And I think we, uh, there's a variety of problems. I think we, 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 we gain teachers as experts by increased pay, increased respect, increased uh, autonomy. Um, I can't change all of those things all at once, but I think that's how we get those things. But I think teachers right now listening to a podcast like this, at this point, an hour and 13 minutes in. (laughs) I think they are the ones who are listening to this going, absolutely. Let's go. Like I'm in it. I'm in it for the kids. I'm, I want to empower them. I want to do these things. I want to get their voice. I want to cultivate whatever that they're trying to do. That is that's mastery teaching. And that's my happy place. That's what I hope teachers get from this entire conversation is, is it all, it all culminates everything we've talked about here. Culminates into this is what a classroom should be. Get kids to talk about their memories. Get kids to talk about their feelings. Get kids to do this, and then find the standards and teach, teach, but make sure it connects to their real life. That's that's my motto. Well, there you go. And I that is it I for really craft think- and Draft, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. That's Pam and Jacob Chesley. I hope you were with us, ladies. I don't know if you, and, and I have pretty much decided that we want to go back. I feel like the long form fits us. I don't like you know that we did the halves. It was fine, but I think these long form conversations and they feel right, don't they?
1: Yeah, they
0: do to me. They do. I think it's it's just what Craft & Draft is. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you like the long form, if you want us to to go down the rabbit holes and, and, and do all these things, subscribe, let us know. Review, let us know. And honestly, join us on Patreon. There's so much bonus content over there. There's so many bonus videos, bonus training, everything else. Join us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Craft & Draft. is going to be the link in the this post we drop an episode every single friday saturday or sunday well pretty much every single friday join us like so many of our listeners have we want to continue to do this we gonna continue to answer your questions Do you have any thoughts concerns musings whatever send it to us we want to capitalize on it it's a brand new year let us know how your year is going otherwise that's Pamochoa. i'm jacob chastain and know that we are here
1: for you